G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. Today's sermon is the final sermon in our Dealing with Division series and it's looking at 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul talks about quarreling, jealousy and finding our unity in Christ. If you'd like to know more about our church then please visit anglicandolby.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. The reading comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants it nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field. God's building. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A show of hands, who here today gets mistaken for being younger than they really are? That means the rest of us get mistaken for being older, and that's too bad. Next question. Who likes thinking, who likes people thinking that you're younger than you really are? Okay. Finally, who likes being called immature? So while we might like being considered younger, nobody likes being called immature, but that's exactly what happens in 1 Corinthians 13. We've been looking at this letter from Paul to the church community in Corinth for the last month or so, and we've seen how immature the Christians in Corinth are. In chapter 1, we saw how they are dividing into fan clubs around who baptized them and who was the better public speaker. Then in chapter 2, we discovered that some were saying that they were mature, more mature and spiritual than others because they had special wisdom that others had to buy or earn from God. All of this immaturity was creating in-groups and out-groups, further dividing the Corinthian church. In chapter 3, Paul is tired of these Corinthian shenanigans. So he's basically saying, grow up. Look at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. Paul doesn't mince words here. Part of the problem he highlights is the Corinthians' confusion about maturity. 
They were doing things that they thought would make them look grown up and sophisticated, but it was doing the opposite. The Bible then tells us how to grow up, how to truly become spiritually mature. We're to live in this world, but not of this world. Finally, we find that our ultimate basis for maturity, unity and wholeness is finding our purpose as co-workers in Christ, working for his glory, not for our own, and building his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So let's look back at the Bible where we read in verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. It seems the Corinthians need a bit of a reality check. They don't understand what maturity is and what maturity means. Five years prior, Paul had visited and preached the gospel there. At the time, it was okay that he gave them spiritual milk. My son Jude is 10 months old and he drinks infant formula because he isn't even old enough to drink cow's milk. That's good and right for him. And it's the same with the Corinthians' faith. They needed spiritual milk. They needed to hear the basics of the Christian faith. They needed to hear that Jesus died and rose again for them. And all they needed to do was trust in him. Things were going well, but sadly their growth seems to have been stunted. While it's alright for Jude to be sucking on formula and rocking around in nappies at 10 months, or even 2 years old, something will have gone horribly wrong if he's still in nappies five years from now. That's what's happening in Corinth. But even worse, the people aren't standing still. They're actually going backwards. Part of the problem was what looked like maturity in Corinthian eyes was anything but. Corinth was a young city trying to look impressive, and so status symbols mattered a lot. If you had a nice house, lots of slaves and could spend your time waffling about philosophy in public, you were seen as mature. If you joined a religious cult, you would rise through the ranks towards what they called maturity. If you progressed through certain rituals, which often involved sex with strangers or alcohol-fueled wacky religious experiences, then you were seen as a good and grown-up person. This way of thinking was trickling into the church, and people were pulling these sorts of tricks. Later in 1 Corinthians, we read that one man started sleeping with his mother-in-law, and through theological mumbo-jumbo, was convincing everyone this was all right by God. Rich Corinthian Christians would also rock up early to church with their eskies and produce food and wine for themselves, and they'd have drunken parties at church. When others arrived for worship, hungry and tired after a hard day's work, they'd find all the food was gone and the supposedly mature Corinthians half drunk and bragging about their amazing spiritual insights. You can imagine how divisive this was. But this way of thinking is alive and well today. I used to have a friend who decided that being mature and behaving like an adult was all about doing the things we couldn't do as 10-year-olds. Drinking, smoking, and playing up. One night I went to his house and he informed me that I wasn't there for a sleepover, but instead we were going to stay awake and rob a shop because that is what grown-ups do. Fortunately, we both fell asleep before things got hectic, but lots of people do all sorts of stupid things today 
because they think it will make them look mature in the eyes of the world around them. Lots of men think that being a man is about drinking, fighting, and womanizing. There's a slightly more sophisticated version of this myth for men, but it's just as base. It says that if I can earn more than money than my peers, stay in good shape, and party like I'm 20 when I'm 50, then I'm a man. We all know boys who shave and males who think they're men because they meet some dumb standard of maturity. Women have these myths too. For many women, maturity has to do with how successful I am, how good I look, or how many friends I have. Whether you're 20, 40, or 60, there's lots of ideas about what a successful, mature woman looks like. Pictures of well-rounded, mature women who are good cooks, great mothers, creative dressers, and who really are at peace within themselves, blare out at us through magazines, TV screens, and smartphones. Sadly, worldly measures of maturity still harm us because we can never live up to them and our failure leaves us empty. This leads to insecurity, anxiety, exhaustion, and inevitably quarreling and jealousy, even in church communities. The immaturity of the church is exposed not by its members' lack of money or success, but by their lack of unity. Paul writes, In verse 3, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? They're bickering like kids. Friendly banter and respectful disagreement are okay, but jealousy and quarreling have no place in God's church. A church should be united in purpose. One of the major problems with our world's view of maturity is that it's all about who belongs to me and who I belong to. Do I have enough stuff to be considered mature? Do I have the right friends? Am I enough? The factionalism and individualism that exists gives us a peek into what life was like in Corinth and how stressful and fractured life will always be if we primarily belong to this world and we judge ourselves by the world's standards. What's the solution for our quest for maturity and belonging? It's finding our belonging in Jesus our King. In verse 3, Paul calls the Corinthians worldly. This strikes at the heart of their dysfunction. They're struggling as a community because they are first and foremost attaching themselves to the things of this world. They are worldly. In John 17, 14, Jesus prays these words to God the Father. He says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify them myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Notice Jesus is not of the world. 
Jesus, the most mature, humble, joyful, satisfied person who ever lived, says twice in his prayer that I am not of the world. He prays for us gathered here that we would also not be of the world. What Jesus is getting at here is where our ultimate allegiance lies. Are we more attracted and more attached to ourselves and the things of this world than we are to God? The one who created us and the world. If we love ourselves and the things of this world, then the world will love us back. But if we love God and set our sights on Jesus rather than the things of this world, then the world will hate us and reject us because we're not playing by its rules. Now, it's important here that we realize the world isn't bad, particularly in God's eyes. God made the world, and he made it good. It's not as if God wants us to leave the things of this world behind and not have anything to do with it. This is why Jesus prays that God would not take us out of the world, but would send us into the world as Jesus was sent into the world to save it. John 3.16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God loves this world. But when we prioritize the world and its measures of success and maturity above God, our growth is stunted and we slide into chaos. When we recognize our role as God's people sent into God's world to work alongside him in his mission of saving the world, that's where true maturity is found. That's where true unity is found. God has put us in this world for a reason and God has good work for us to do. When we are in this world, but not of this world, we are freed up to live into our true purpose, the identity God is only too pleased to give us, a position as a co-worker in Christ. Last week, I needed a reference for a volunteering role I'm going to be doing at South School. I passed the form on to Judy, our church admin, and she gave me a very generous but truthful reference. She got stuck, however, on the question, what is your relationship with the applicant? Now, although I have a formal role at this church, I'm not Judy's boss, as she's appointed by parish council. So she wrote, co-worker in Christ. And that's the relationship we all share at St. John's. It's the relationship all Christians share with one another. We are all co-workers in Christ. Paul writes in verse 5, What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And then in verse 7, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Paul doesn't see some Christians as upper class or more mature than others. The word for servants he uses here in verse 5 is diakonos. This word is where we get our word deacon from. This was the title given to the lowly household servants, the people who got the worst jobs. 
If our leader, Jesus, came down from heaven into our world to be our servant and die for us, then there is no job too humble for us. And there is nothing he can't ask of us. Coming along to church, being a leader in our community, having a title or being on parish council doesn't make you better than anyone else. It makes you a servant of all. We've all got assigned tasks. We all have gifts, talents, and time that God has given us. In Jesus, there is true equality and true unity. None of those things elevate us above him. There's no space for rivalry among Christians. We're all co-workers in Christ. The other word picture Paul uses in this passage is taken from farming. In verse 6, he writes, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Paul was the first on the scene in Corinth, and he shared the basics of the gospel with the people there. He saw God grow them and help them to flourish. When Paul left, a brilliant preacher called Apollos arrived, watering the seed of faith that Paul had planted. But again, Paul's point here is that he can't take any credit for the growth in the church because it was God who made it grow. All the success, all the wonderful work, all the benefit to the community that has come from this church over its 160-year history shouldn't be tied to a particular minister leader or volunteer because God brings the growth. God owns this land. God owns these buildings. God grew the trees that formed the pews that you are sitting on today. Not for his own benefit, but for your benefit and for the saving of lives into eternity. Friend, do you want to grow as a person? Do you want to see your family, your community, your country flourish? Well, then focus your life on God. Put on your Jesus glasses. Make God your ultimate priority. And he will give you all you truly need. God brings growth. And in his goodness, he calls you and I to be co-workers in Christ with him. One of my favorite quotes is by the biologist Louis Pasteur who said, Could I but know all, I would have the faith of a Breton peasant woman. Women from Breton were known for their humility, resilience, and deep trust in Jesus for all things. What he was saying is that the ultimate maturity, ultimate happiness, ultimate security is found in faith in Jesus Christ. So as we wrap up our series in 1 Corinthians, I want you to really see your calling to be as a co-worker in Christ. As we plan for the future, as we have our AGM next Sunday, as we live out our lives God has given us in Dolby, let's recognize that Jesus is calling us to be in this world, but to remember that our ultimate destiny, our ultimate identity is found in Christ. Peace with the world around us And peace within ourselves starts with peace with God. And that's found in Jesus Christ. Let's put on our Jesus glasses every day and grow in unity as co-workers in Christ.
living for the day when our Lord Jesus returns to make all things new. Amen.